Hi, I'm Brenda. And hi, I'm Amber. And this is the Minority Millennial Money Podcast. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Amber nor I nor Minority Millennial Money is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and tax accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Minority Millennial Money. Today, we've got a few topics, um, primarily prenups, domestic partnerships, finances and marriage. And we have a special guest um, who's going to talk about expat living. So I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hi. Hey, Brenda. Hey, Amber. My name is Steve, and I, I write for the personal finance blog called The Frugal Expats. And right now, I am an American expat living in Taipei, Taiwan with my wife, Sarah, and uh, we're both English teachers. We enjoy traveling the world, but due to COVID, we're not traveling as much, but uh, so I'm here to chat about finances and marriage and expat life. (laughs) Thanks for coming. So so we wanted to start off with prenups because we had another episode in which we talked about kind of about end of life documents and estate planning and that kind of thing, but Prenups are not an end-of-life document. They're something that you do when you're planning to get married, which is as much of a legal and financial decision as it is an emotional one. And Amber is a lawyer, and I'm just a healthcare professional, so I don't know (laughs) much about the legal aspects. I'm more invested in the emotional part. But um, (laughs) why? So Amber, we've talked a lot about on the episodes about how, you know, you would keep your finances separate, but so say you were advising me as my lawyer, what would you advise me to do as far as a prenup if I was getting married, considering that I do have two rental properties and some money in retirement accounts? Yeah, so I know you talk about your net worth a lot on Twitter, but will you say it here? <laughs> so if I'm counting the, the appreciation in my homes, which is, you know, we've talked about this extensively, is it just imaginary money until you sell the house? Well, yeah, but it will eventually be cash, right? So if I'm counting that, I'm about about 440,000 um, net worth if I were to sell my homes today and chop off 7% for sales price. Right, so that's a considerable amount of money. Um, so I would advise you to get a prenup for sure. And I know there's a lot of discourse right now online, on Twitter, like, well, a prenup doesn't matter. And so like, let's like sort of unpack that a little bit. So. It really just depends. There, it's very, I, I know people hate lawyers always say like, it depends, but like that's <laughs> really like the answer, right? So like, let's say two people are McDonald's cashiers, okay? They're both McDonald's cashiers. They enter into a prenup that says, you know, all assets will be divided evenly upon divorce, right? They're both McDonald's cashiers. Let's say a year later, the guy gets a, a, a tech job. Uh, mm-hmm. somewhere and he now makes a half a million dollars okay so the woman quits her job at McDonald's and she stays home and raise the, raises the kids five years forward they want to get a divorce right they have this prenup that says we're going to split things evenly but obviously that's not equitable considering life has happened and the guy now obviously was taking care of her 
due to his large salary and she quit her job because she was sort of relying upon him right she's relying upon him to take care of her at that point and so yeah obviously the court is going to uh divide that situation equitably because when you sign the prenup the circumstances were substantially different than what it is today so i know brenda had a question well i just want to add that okay she was financially dependent on him she was providing the labor of caring for their children. Agreed, agreed. And the courts recognize that and the courts recognize when, you know, in a marriage, it is a partnership. So there are some things that you do that where you're relying on the other person's salary and, you know, you can't, after you've lived sort of that lifestyle is what the courts uh, determine, you know, call it. You can't go back to being a McDonald's cashier, right? Like you're you probably live in a really nice home. You probably live in a very nice neighborhood. Your kids probably have access to things that other kids of McDonald's workers, frankly, don't have access to. And so you can't sort of just drop someone back into the McDonald's cashier lifestyle after providing them with so much. And so that's where spousal support comes in. And I see a lot of people on the news like, why, why should she get that? Why should, because you've provided this lifestyle, you've upgraded this person's life. And so as a result, you have to maintain that. And so that's sort of the danger and liability of marriage. Brenda. I just want to mention, cause you, cause you were talking about, you know, um, spousal support that I saw in the news that Dr. Dre's wife, yes. you know, they're getting divorced and she's going to get about $300,000 per month. Yeah, absolutely. As um, she should. <laughs> well, she's been married to him for 25 years, and I think there was talk about domestic abuse. So anyway, that's a little side note, but I was like, in that case, it does make sense. Like she's dedicated her life to being his partner, and right. she shouldn't have to leave the marriage without any of the perks that were there. Right. So I think that's why people say like, oh, well, a prenup doesn't matter. Like it does matter right? Mm -hmm. Like it does protect you to a certain extent. Obviously you can write, a prenup is just a contract. So you could write into your prenup, like anything I had before marriage, I want to be mine forever. I don't ever want it to convert to marital property. And if you keep that, those in separate accounts and you don't merge those finances with your spouse, you can make a pretty good argument during the divorce to say, listen, I said this in the prenup that this stuff was mine. It's been in separate accounts. It was never in, a, in the joint account. It was never a part of the marriage. And you could probably argue and probably get that, that back. So long as your spouse is aware that you had all those, you know, all those assets prior. Now, it's one thing if you get married and you sign a prenup and you don't know that somebody else has like a trust fund or a million dollars sitting somewhere and you agree to a prenup. And then at divorce, it comes out that they have all this money, right? That happens a lot. Ugh. Really? Yeah, yeah. Whereas like the person didn't even know that they were married to someone like wealthy. And then like, they're trying to divide assets. And like, wait a minute, like I signed this prenup under the guys that you don't have, you know, that you were not sitting Ooh. on a million dollars in a bank account. And so that's where it becomes unjust. And there's an argument whether or not, you know, that's fair. And so, I mean, I just suggest disclosing everything at the beginning of the marriage. And I mean, all of this is state specific. All of this is circumstance specific. So this is obviously not legal advice, but I think if you want to make an argument to keep your assets, a prenup is the way to go. That's a good point. Yeah, Steve, since you're the only married one here, why don't you tell us 
if this ever came up when you were getting married and were you guys in similar situations financially? And that's why it was just, you know, it didn't make a difference or was it just a personal belief that you didn't want to introduce that? What was y'all's situation? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, Brenda. Um, I think, uh, so my wife and I, we had different financial situations. Um, before we got married, I had student loans. She did not. And so I was trying to pay those off and she had uh, a good amount of um, cash sitting in her bank accounts. And I was using most of my cash to basically pay off my student loans. And so I guess right there, she had a better financial situation than I did, which um, I mean, like uh, Amber was talking about, that would be probably a good cause for a prenup. Um, but um, the, uh, that never actually came up when we talked about it. Um, it was mostly like, uh, you know, we get married and then we just, um, that's, that's it. And we kind of share things, but, uh, I guess, um, she was a little bit hesitant about kind of sharing her money because she had worked so many years trying to accumulate it. And it's, uh, mm -hmm. and I mean, we're in our thirties. So, I mean, we're not like young chickens and, um, <laughs> I mean, being in your thirties or even older than that, I mean, you, you accumulate, uh, quite a bit of assets. And so, um, that could have been something that came up, but it never, it never came up with us. So did you end up paying the loans off yourself or was it like, she was like, I will help you pay these off because I don't want to have debt. Um, it was, uh, I paid it off all myself and, uh, I got it paid off right before we got married. Um, oh, she great. basically said, we're not going to get married unless this debt is gone. And so awesome. it was pretty much, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much uh, like in my brain, it's like, all right, let's do whatever I can to get these paid off. <laughs> That's love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So Amber, say I don't want to get married because I'm like, uh, it's just too complicated and don't want to deal with a prenup. I have talked to you before about this concept of a domestic partnership. And I have a sample of what the county clerk shows is a, it's a, it's a legal document also like a marriage license, um, but it's more, can you, do you know about how it's different? Yeah, so domestic partnerships and in some states they're called civil unions and Illinois it's called civil union. Um, they basically are state um, partnerships hmm. um, and they're not recognized by the federal government. So that means that an employer does not have to allow you to add your partner to your like health insurance or your benefits. Oh, so it's okay. very employer dependent. I mean, I'm sure now with everything with LGBTQ rights, I'm sure a lot of employers do allow you to add uh, your domestic partner, but, but legally they don't have to, right? Correct. Cause it's not okay. federally recognized. Typically you cannot uh, file joint taxes. Again, because it's not federally recognized, so you can't get any of the tax benefits of, of a marriage with a domestic partnership. And then also the divorce is almost the same as it would be, or it is the same, it's the same process as it would be for a marriage. So really? Yeah. So oh. essentially you get all of the detriment of marriage with limited benefits. <laughs> um, no. Yes. Um, the one good thing is like if you don't have a will and you have a domestic partnership, it, it's very state specific again, but in, in some states, 
your domestic part if you don't have children your domestic partner will get your assets okay. um, but if you do have children then sometimes they split the assets between your children and the partner um but yeah it's just a sort of a lesser so to speak form of of marriage um it, it totally makes sense why again the lgbtq community works so hard to get get marriage because I mean, the benefits are really limited. Um, you know, you think you love somebody for 20 years and they die and you're left to sort of pick up the pieces or you don't get the same rights as, as people in marriage. So mm, yeah. um, it's pretty much just like telling the state that you want to be partnered with this person and they will like view them as kind of a dependent, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But again, like it's not federally recognized. So once you leave that state, it's a real big question of whether or not that domestic partnership is even still intact legally. Um, it's certainly still intact in that state, but you may have to go to another state and get another domestic partnership. So um, I, I, don't, I don't really see, in my opinion, I don't see a benefit to doing domestic partnership because it, to me, it doesn't provide much benefit, but everyone's gotcha. different. So. That makes sense. Yeah, I didn't know that it was as much trouble to get out of it as it is to get out of a marriage. So that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm going to move forward to just in general finances and marriage. And since you and I are not married, we can just briefly talk about what we envision our finances would look like in marriage. And then we'll give Steve a chance to talk about it. Um, I, I, I know that I've been given crap on the podcast before about I've had a joint account with someone I was dating before just for not even because we lived together just for like our expenses like going out entertainment food all that stuff it actually worked out great um the relationship didn't the bank account did but <laughs> but the share of the finances did but if I were married I would probably want a joint account in which we put in enough money to cover our expenses according to our incomes, right? And then we would still have our own private accounts in which we could spend for ourselves however we want. And, you know, if I buy him a gift, I don't want him to know that it was $85 or whatever, you know, or nowadays I get a notification on my wallet, on my phone, every time I swipe my card. And if we had a, the same card, well, then he would know that I, you know, bought something at J Crew or whatever, you know? So I don't know, just for that kind of thing. Um, that's how I envision it. And then probably I'd keep my rental properties. He would keep his home in his name. And if we wanted to get something bigger, then we'd probably rent something bigger together or try to save up to buy something together. But at this point between the three of us, if we wanted to rent something nice, we could just keep the three rental properties and rent something nice together and not have to worry about another mortgage so that's kind of how I envision it what about you Amber yeah I think I want to do something similar I mean I still want to maintain my autonomy and like I've been to lunch you know with married people and they're like oh god sorry I can't go with you to Chipotle because my spouse will see the eight dollar purchase it's just like what like why are you it's like you're a prisoner it's weird right super weird like what like that's ridiculous like I never want that. So I definitely want my own account. Like you said, probably a joint account for shared expenses as far as like, you know, the recurring bills or whatever. I actually have a friend that does one check into the joint account, one check into the personal account. Each person puts in one check and to the extent that they have extra money, they invest it in a joint account. 
So I think that's a good idea. What do you mean? Like, like they have two jobs or like they just sep- split their check into two no, different accounts? Like, so typically, you know, you get two checks a month or whatever. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Okay, got it, got like it. half your monthly salary goes to, you know, your married account. And then the other. that's a good, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. That feels fair because then it's also proportional to how much you make. Yes, exactly. That's nice. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have yeah, to. That sounds that like the, uh, the bucket system, you know, where you put different money in different buckets. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That's a good idea. So what about you, Steve? You, I mean, you guys have a very unique situation in that you live in Taiwan. You are English teachers. So I don't know if you get paid. Do you get, if you get paid in us dollars because you're at American schools or how did this all come about? Tell us a little bit about how you got married and now you live in Taiwan. Um, <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I moved to Taiwan before I got married. So I met my wife in Taiwan. Um, oh. so that, yeah, that's, a uh, yeah, that's interesting. Cause she's not even American. She's, uh, she's Australian. Um, and she's not like one of those regular Australians. She's a, um, she's a Cantonese Australian. So she's, a she's an immigrant to, well, her parents are immigrants to Australia. So, um, so she's Asian of, Australian as opposed to is, Asian. Yeah. She, okay. Yeah. Asian Australian. Well, she's, she's Chinese, but like Cantonese, if that makes sense, like from Hong Kong. Okay. Oh, okay. So Hong Kong Australian. That's correct. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's confusing. I mean, I'm American. She's Australian. We live in Taiwan. She looks, she's Asian and yeah, it's, yeah. So about like, uh, about four years ago, um, I decided to move to Taiwan to, to kind of travel the world and use English, teaching English as a way to actually, um, work for money and to support myself. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I was saving, I think maybe about $10,000 a year, um, through teaching English, maybe a little bit more. I think we're wow. saving probably more now than I was when I first moved here. But, um, and in the first three months I met my wife. Um, and so then we, we dated, we ended up getting married and then finances is an interesting thing in Taiwan because, um, so only one person can have an account. So only one person on accounts. So we, we have two accounts, but we do not have a joint account at all. You cannot uh, which, have one. Um, no, I don't think so. And I've talked to so many Taiwanese people and they're like, it's like foreign to them. It's like, uh, they don't even, they've never heard of really joint accounts. It's usually it's one person, one account, one ID for that account. Got it. Which makes it uh, unique. I mean. So do, in marriages there, is it the men who tend to have the account then? Um, actually, both people usually tend to have an account. Okay. Um, usually the man usually uh, makes more money. Um, I mean, it's a more, yes. I mean, it's a more uh, chauvinist. Well, it's a more like man dominated society. I mean, patriarchal. Um, yeah. Patriarchal. Yeah. I'm just trying to find the correct word. Uh, but it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of like uh, schools are ran by women. Um, like, You'll see women as the director or the owner or the person that's the head teacher, which is everything a little bit intro. It's different. Yeah. Um, but um, we 
so we have two separate accounts. And um, another thing about Taiwan is for every employer you have, you need a different bank account depending on if the employer is with that bank. Does that make sense? So I've had two jobs in Taiwan and so I have two bank accounts. Because your second job didn't do business with your first bank. Correct, yes. Wow. Yeah, and it, maybe it's a money saving thing. I'm not sure, but um, so <laughs> I have two bank accounts. One bank account has about $10. The other one has the majority <laughs> of my other money. <laughs> Yeah. So it, you're able to transfer from one bank to another. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It, it's it's quite seamless. Um, when I lived in the states, um, transferring was was different. Here, you can just go to an ATM. You put in the code for the bank. You put in the amounts. Boom! It's done. You transfer the money, and it's in hmm. the bank account like that. Um, yeah, because huh. my wife, she can transfer me money from her bank account to my bank account and it's it's in like that well when the bank opens it's in like that right right so you did mention your wife transferring you money so do you do something kind of like what we said like where you have joint account for living expenses and um then you have your own money well the way so my wife and i we figured out a system that works for us and um because at one point we were kind of trying to share things since we had separate accounts. So at one point we decided to talk about more like investing in my bank accounts. I can uh, change my money over to USD. So what we decided was, was my wife's bank account would be mostly our expenses bank account. My bank mm -hmm. account is all for investing and anything to pay off any credit cards because we would use, my credit cards to travel. And so therefore she would have to transfer me money in order for us to pay those off. And so my bank account is basically, all it is is for investing. So um, we, we basically save about half of our money because we never touched my bank account, but we only touched my wife's bank account. So you live on one income? Yes. Okay. And because you're American, you can still invest in the American markets? Or can anybody Correct. do that? Okay. Well, anybody can do it. Um, it's just a different um, taxes. Um, like my Taiwanese friends, they can invest into U.S. stock market, but since the U.S. and Taiwan does not have a tax treaty, it is a thirty percent tax on dividends and capital gains. Oof. Yeah, and any country that has tax treaties, it depends on their tax treaty. Cause I think Australia, where my wife um, is from, I think the tax treaty is either 15% or 5%. And that's on the dividends or the capital gains. That's not terrible. So are it's you- It's not terrible, yeah. So Steve, if I understand you correctly, you pay all the bills out of your account and your wife's account is essentially a savings account, right? Uh, no, switch that around. Um, we pay all the bills out of my wife's accounts, and my account is basically the savings account. And then, because, when you, sorry, when you well, move back to the US, do you guys plan on merging those funds? I think we would probably get uh, probably a joint account and have maybe two separate accounts. Um, 
just so then, I mean, because, or, you know, I'm not sure. We actually haven't talked about that. Um, <laughs> and that is a great question. <laughs> I mean, the reason I ask is just, I'm a lawyer, right? So like, this is not personal towards you, but like in my head, I see alarms. Like I see little red lights and they're going off because <laughs> as, as I just am trained to think worst case scenario, what do you do, right? And so if you leave your wife and you have all the money that you guys have saved, I honestly don't know what you would do if you came back to the US and you're like, hey, we wanna get divorced. Now, I, I don't even know if your marriage is, if you were married by US standards or Australian standards, but assuming that you're married in the US, that would be hard because the accounts are separate technically due to your situation in, in, in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, I, I, see, I see your point and honestly, like uh, most of our investments are in my investment accounts as well. In your name only. Uh, yes, because she doesn't have a social security number right now. Right. And, um, and, and are you her, legally married in the U.S.? Um, yes. Okay. Well, we didn't get married in the U.S. We got married in Australia. Okay. And according to um, our uh, diplomat is as long as it was in an English speaking country like Australia, we're officially married in the U.S. Oh. If it was in Taiwan, we would no. have to go through a bunch of paperwork and do many other things because, first of all, it's all in Chinese. Second of all, um, the U.S. doesn't really recognize Taiwan as an um, independent country, so that makes it even more trickier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, this was what I was wanting to know is like the nuances of living in a different country. You know, you're, I, I thought you were married to an American citizen, but you're not. So that changes things. So this is like the ultimate um, outlier situation, right? <laughs> As opposed to like Amber and I would probably marry American citizens and have to deal with, with the complications of that. But you're in a particularly unique situation. So um, are you guys planning on staying there long term? Um, our plan, we we do not know as of yet. Um, right now, we're we're working on trying to create a family, and um, that um, brings on new things. Because if you have kids, where 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 do we want them to be educated? Well, right. the first thing is since we're teachers, um, we would like them to have a good education, and so our first thought is a Western education. So it's either the U.S. or it's Australia, and um, so. When we have kids is when we would probably plan to move. But if we don't have kids, then, well, we, we really don't know. We don't know where we would go and we would don't know what we would do. Well, with, with finances, I mean. Right. Um, I want to know a little bit more about how you got into teaching English in Taiwan in case we have listeners who may be interested in doing something like that. Yeah, um, I... I first of all looked up many websites to try to figure out like uh, where's a good place to go, um, and then I figured out well I really don't have a teaching um, let's say I don't have a teaching certificate or a teaching degree, um, um, so I needed to figure out how to get a job as an English teacher, and so I signed up and got a TEFL degree, which is teaching English as a foreign language, and I, I started doing that in uh, Chicago. Um, I went to Chicago, got a 
a certificate to teach English as a, as a foreign language. Taught there for uh, about four weeks, and then I left and went to Taiwan. And in Taiwan, I eventually got a, a teaching license in order to teach for the uh, government schools. Oh, okay. So you so that's like the public schools here. Yeah, it's the public schools. Um, but if you don't have a license, you can always teach at the um, like kind of after school programs, they're called cram schools because kids basically after school, they go to these cram schools to cram in more learning basically. Oh, gosh. And they have, they have cram schools for English, math, they have them for everything. So kids are all, they're in school from 8 a.m. to about, I mean, anywhere from 6.30, 7 o'clock, maybe eight o'clock. And then they're studying afterwards. Oh my gosh. So do you have to speak a little bit of Chinese or how does that work? Uh, no, I don't need to speak any Chinese. Uh, most schools say don't speak Chinese, only speak English. Yeah. Um, and our school basically tells, tells the students, our teachers don't speak any Chinese. And you look at our teachers, we have um, one white guy, that's me, one black guy. <laughs> um, then we have three Asians, uh, one that's American, one that's Australian, one that's South African, and mm. they all three speak Chinese. Mm. The, uh, the American speaks the most fluent, um, the South African speaks the second most, and then my wife, she speaks the third most. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So what is the cost of living like there? Are you, do you feel like you have a big margin because of, the, uh, because of your work? Um, are you able to live comfortably and it sounds like you're able to have money left over to invest. Yeah, I think uh, as a uh, as an English teacher, we get paid pretty well. I mean, we are probably um, middle to high middle class within the Taiwan society. Um, most, I mean, the minimum wage in Taiwan is about, I think, um, in USD, it's maybe 13 maybe 1400 USD um, a month. Okay. And we get paid about 2000 to 3000 oh. USD a month, uh, depending on your years in the school or what school you're at. I've got friends that are in international schools are getting paid about 3000 to 4000 USD a month. And um, our living expenses for two of us are about 1200 to $1,300 a month. So about 15,000 a year. Now we're quite frugal. We could be spending maybe $1,500 a month or maybe 2000, um, but we decide not to. Yeah. So, so the cost of living is quite low. I mean, food, food is very cheap. Transportation <laughs> is even cheaper. I mean, we don't have a car. Uh, we use bicycles. I mean, the Metro system is about maybe um, 25 cents to 50 cents a ride and maybe uh, the bus we take a bus to school and it costs us about 50 cents one way and 50 cents on the way back wow right so the society is um adjusted so that people who make middle class incomes can live comfortably oh yeah of course and i mean um imagine live, that. <laughs> i mean imagine that yeah exactly right I mean, our society is, there's a huge, 
huge gap also. Um, there are lots and lots of rich people. I mean, tons. Really? Yeah, I think people say that the, the percentage of billionaires in Taiwan is the highest in the world. Um, wow. You just don't know it because uh, they're the ones that basically they own factories. They have, um, they own like property and stuff like that. But uh, I know it because I see the cars roaming around and there's no way that average Taiwanese people own some of these cars. You're talking about Ma Maseratis, Lamborghinis, uh, Porsches. And this is in my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, I mean, you look at the people and they're, they're just average people, except for the big monstrosity building that's in the middle of all these regular people's uh, buildings. <laughs> wow, interesting. Huh. Anything else you want to share with us about, about that lifestyle that maybe people don't know? Well, I, I feel that, uh, I mean, if you ever want to, I mean, see the world or save money, I mean, a good place is to, I mean, use your skills. Um, I, I spoke English and I wanted to be a teacher. And so I learned how to teach English and I used that skill in order to grab a good job. And That's the great. job wasn't... Um, the job wasn't about um, teaching kids. I love teaching kids, um, but it was it was a means to be able to fund my my travels. And in the process, I I used it to fund uh, my my retirement and my investments as well. So I think if you if you can find a skill that can help you achieve your goals and things that you would like to do in life. Yeah, I like that idea of. The fact that you're you're kind of long traveling, right? You're you're traveling in a long term way, and you're not putting your investing on hold to do that. Because I feel like a lot of people may think, well, I want to travel the world, but like I gotta you know save for retirement. And you found a way to do both. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think that was one of the things I was looking for to doing. I wanted to have enough money in order to hit financial independence, but also travel. And so it kind of put two goals in, into my path. I wanted to do both. And so yeah. you have to be, you have to save, you have to invest at the same time. Right. Do you have anything, Amber, you wanna add? No, I think that's great. I mean, so we've talked a little bit about geo-arbitrage on the, the podcast and it sounds like, you know, that's, slash the expat life is a lot of, a lot of fire people get into that. And I think that's really cool. Um, instead of waiting for retirement to travel, you're sort of doing it now. Um, and so that's great. I think, I hope our listeners, people out there who are interested in doing that, you can certainly find jobs that allow you, you know, to travel and also save money. So, so tell us where people can reach you if they want more information from you or they want to read your blog. Oh, that, thank you. Um, my blog is thefrugalexpat.com. And usually I'm on Twitter at uh, thefrugalexpats, the number one. So if you want to find me, you can find me at those two places. And I, I post out a post at least once a week. There's maybe two times a week. And um, I'm always on Twitter. So you can reach me there. How Send me a we? DM or <laughs> just comment me. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, um, I feel like millennials who use Twitter are like a special group. <laughs> Definitely a subculture. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I, I talked to friends and 
they're not on Twitter. They're they they're just like, uh, we're on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram. And yeah. then the real young people are on TikTok and Snapchat. And I'm like, that's too much for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> I'm I'm about the text life, you know, the 280 characters. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Steve. We really enjoyed having you on. And um, everyone, please remember to share our podcast, give us some good reviews on Apple Podcasts, um, spread the word through our Instagram, which is Minority Millennial Money, and our Twitter, which is MM Money Pod. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thank you, guys.